Welcome in to the Crawford Talks, a podcast by The Athletic about the Houston Astros. He's Jay Kaplan, and I'm Mike Meltzer. So typically, I'll start an episode by asking how Jake is. He'll ask how I am. Uh, I'm not even going to go into that because, Jake, I'm, I'm annoyed this week. I, I am annoyed this week because I, I, I am annoyed at the reaction that has been received this week by people I respect in the sports media who have been critical of the Major League Baseball Players Association for not immediately accepting what I think is a lousy offer by the owners to come back and play this season. So the quick background is these sides are finally negotiating this week. I think it's going to take a couple of weeks. I think they'll ultimately come to a deal. But the owners on Monday slash Tuesday approved internally among themselves a deal to come back this season. They told the players, hey, Let's split revenue for the first time ever 50-50. That's our opening offer. And the players were basically like, no, that's not going to fly. And somehow, a lot of people in the sports media, Jake, feel like, well, it's the first offer. You absolutely have to take it. And I find this to be utterly preposterous. What do you think? I agree that um, that take is, is preposterous, but I also didn't see as much of it from media members as maybe you did. I, I thought it was more from uh, just like the the average person on Twitter who's not in the media who had that take. Um, but maybe there were some in the media that, that did too. I, I didn't. Are there any in, in particular you want to you want to call out? Just get, let's see. Get spicy here. All right, let's see here. It's good you called me on this. Uh, Mike Francesa, JT the Brick. Uh, a lot of thing. A lot of takes along the lines of like, hey. If these guys in this pandemic with unemployment at X percent and everybody struggling and trying to survive, if they don't play baseball over money, I am never watching baseball again. I feel like some of these people, including the ones I mentioned, like went way too quickly to that stance on the opening salvo of a negotiation. Yeah, I think it got so like this whole proposal uh, got so much media coverage in the last week that. I think maybe people got the impression that it was uh, like the week for a deal to be made, but it was just the start of the negotiation. So that Agreed. that might have been part of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it would obviously be a terrible look for MLB and the players union if it is safe to play at some point and they don't play because of money and there's 36 million unemployed. Uh, obviously that would be a terrible look, but I don't think we can assume that because they didn't start on the same page, they're not going, that's going to like, they're not going to bridge that gap in the next two or three weeks. I think in my, I'm still, you know, thinking of if there's a safe way to play and, and that's still a big, if this season, I don't think they're going to let the money get in the way of it. Uh, I think they will come to some sort of compromise in the end. I agree with you on that. So I think so to make that clear for the audience, so I think you and I, Jake, are on the same page that all things being equal, if, if they can figure out the health and safety part, which is by leaps and bounds, the most important part of this negotiation, they're not going to not play because of money. I was a double negative. The reason why a baseball season would be canceled in 2020 will not be because of the money. I think you and I are on the same page on that, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you come back from that if that happens, right? Like, that would just be such a bad look for everyone involved, um, especially Major League Baseball. 
Uh, now, in the start, in the in the negotiation that began this week, I thought it was interesting that you know MLB leaked their proposal. What was it? Monday night, Monday afternoon. Yep. Uh, about the financial part of this, the economics, and then on Tuesday late afternoon, when the meeting actually happened, they didn't. Pre- there was no. T- there was little talk, from what I read uh, in the reports. Of that. Of of the economics and it was all about the state health and safety, which, you know, that's what it should be, right? But I don't know. It, it was, you know, the decision for MLB to leak out the financial part. Um, you know, it's going to have that effect, and they know that that you know it's basically putting the players' side in a position to be the bad guy. So uh, agreed. At, at least they, you know, on Tuesday talked about what really matters most. And that's the health and safety. And I would like to hear more about that and what, what their plans are for, you know, um, different protocols they could put in place if there is a season. Because ultimately, the coronavirus is going to determine whether there's a season um, in the end of this. I want to make one point, Jake, before circling back into what you mentioned just now, the health and safety part, which totally agree. That's that's by far the most important part here. I think a lot of people, uh, at least the ones that I saw that I referenced off the top here that were critical of the players and their initial stance, it was like, well, hey, the owners are going to, they might lose money this season. Um, I, I should know, this is probably what I should have said at the start, like the, the owners and players have a deal in place that mm-hmm. they came to in late March. Now, to be fair, it was one of those they came to a deal relatively quickly as far as sports negotiations go, but the players, like, based on that deal, the players were going to get a prorated portion of their salaries based on how many games are played this season, not accounting for fans being in or out of the stands. Like, that was the, that was the deal, and the players also got service time. Now, the owners also did include a clause that basically said, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but they can talk about the economic feasibility of playing games without fans, which leads us to where we are now. I just do want to make the point that regardless of what I've seen this week from people in the national media, the players are not going back on any sort of deal. If there's one side that is kind of moving away from a deal that was signed less than two months ago, uh, it would be the owners. And the reason I bring it up is, I know that you can look at a business broadly and say, hey, if a business is losing money, then eventually it's going to go bankrupt. I get that part. But why isn't it also true, Jake, that Major League Baseball has been a seven, eight, you know, nine billion dollar business, whatever the number is over the last couple of years. The owners have been raking in the profits the last couple of years. Why is it not a crazy stance for the union to have the position that like, hey, we get it. It's going to be a weaker year in terms of revenue. Some teams might actually lose money. But like if you made X amount of dollars in profits the last three, four, five years, why is it not possible to have one year where you lose money and then you're back to the positive side in 2021? Yeah, well said. I mean, I I agree with you 100 percent. And I mean, there's there's a risk in owning a business, right? Like every business. Yes. Um, that comes with 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 that with being on that side of it so yeah i agree and thank you for pointing out the the deal in late march that's important context here because in the players eyes they already decided they already determined this part of it the 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 salary part they in the deal in late march um they agreed to prorated salaries which is 
in an 82 game uh, schedule about a 50% pay cut. So they're taking the stance as they already got this part out of the way. So that that's kind of why, um, you know, it was received so poorly on the player's side or one of the reasons because ML, you know, MLB is trying to basically renege on a, a previous deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have a few weeks to figure this out, I think. Um, but you're, I agree. But you're right. Like, I mean, it, it's, you know, the owners have made so much money that it is, I don't know, it is curious when you see um, people siding with the owners and against the players. Um, but, you know, I guess it's kind of always been that way, unfortunately, right? Like, it's, it, yeah. it's I don't know. I don't really get it, but... Uh, I, I agree with your point. These owners have made so much money. Not to say they they sh- you know should definitely lose money, but like I don't know that there's there's risk in owning a business. A lot of people are losing money right now. Like it's just it's part of this, um, unfortunately. So yeah, yes. it's uh, strange times. It's as far as timing. Before we go to the health and safety, so we're recording this on May the fourteenth. The idea is to have baseball start by basically July 4th, which means spring training 2.0 at some point in early June. The way you're looking at it, Jake, are we looking at the next three weeks or so, two, three weeks to negotiate and hammer out an actual deal here? Yeah, I I would guess like two to three weeks is probably your limit, right? Like the end of May. Um, I think so. Yeah, but even then, like there's no guarantee that at the end of May, you're going to know if it's safe or not yet, right? Like I think all these dates you keep hearing on on in the reports or on Twitter from Trevor Plouffe are best case scenario, like if all goes right, right? Like I think we still have to be monitoring whether it's safe or not uh, most, most of all because that's, again, what's going to determine whether it's feasible to play this year or not and where it's feasible to play this year or not. Yes. So l- let's get into this because th- this I, I think what you're saying, Jake, is – completely correct and yet what i've struggled with in my mind the last couple weeks is to figure out how it's actually going to work in the real world so for example we know as part of this negotiation major league baseball is going to have to explain okay what happens when a player gets coronavirus and i'm saying when and not if because listen like if the german bundesliga comes back and they've got a team in quarantine in their second division. And if the UFC last week comes back and they don't have that many people and, you know, three people test positive for COVID-19, like I'm just, I'm just betting on the math that yeah, if baseball comes back, I will, I would, if I was in Vegas, I would bet money right now. I'm not trying to be trite about this, that there will be some people showing up who have coronavirus, who are symptomatic or not, whatever like that. That's just what the math is. So one part of this has to be, okay, when that happens, what are the guidelines? What's the protocol for when, for how long they're out? What needs to happen for them to come back? I'm guessing it's like two negative tests. I feel like that's going to be a huge part of this. Yeah. And how do you protect everyone else? Um, yeah. I, 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 Again, I said this a, a few minutes ago. I would like to see more on that. Uh, there hasn't been much revealed about that part of it. And maybe that's... Uh, still being designed yeah i don't know like there's so much we don't know about this virus even even months later that you know it's it's just so fluid this whole situation and and planning for a potential sports league in 2020 
um, is really hard for that reason. So, yeah, I don't know. I, but ultimately, I would like to hear more about the safety health guidelines and less about the, the player pay or the, the team's um, – the, yes. the MLB's owners reneging on, on player a previous agreement for player pay. Um, because well, well, the safe, the safety and health, we haven't really heard any specifics, right? Like about what they will do. And, and you've heard a little bit more about the NBA's plan on that and some others, but, uh, I think we need to hear more from MLB on that. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick and make sure you check out Evan on our podcast on Monday, giving you kind of an inside look into these negotiations that Jake and I are discussing right now. Really good episode. Check it out from this past Monday, uh, on the 11th. Um, one thing I'm wondering, because uh, I kind of talked around <laughs> my point about what you said about health and safety, how this might be a really simple, possibly dumb question. How do they know if it's okay to return or if they start to continue? Like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about because I, I am totally 50 50 on this. I see so much polarization on my social media feeds and like I'm one of those people who I would like to have a season. Uh, I am also concerned about this virus. I'm also just knowledgeable that, hey, we have no vaccine. We have no treatment. Do people expect this thing to just somehow like miraculously fade away? And yet I also understand as someone who works like, hey, we need an economy, too. So I, I can kind of see all sides uh, if that makes sense. But for baseball, and basketball, really any sport, like for Rob Manfred, how does he know that they can come back? Is it just about the testing? Is it just about the numbers in these different states? Because I guess, thankfully, those seem to be going down, although I know there's there might be a significant lag time. How the heck do they know if it's actually okay to come back and play baseball? It's a great question. I mean, they're working with... Um, a specialist, right? There, I, I'm quickly trying to look yes. up the name of the doctor um, that they are consulting on this. I mean, they're going to have to obviously get... It's uh, Dr. Ali Khan, who's the Dean of College of Public Health at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Yeah, so like, obviously they're going to have to, once they come to an agreement, if they do, between the, the owners and the players, um, so both sides are going to have to be okay with the plan, and then they would have to get approval from actual, you know, health specialists who know what's going on more than we do and um, would presumably pour over the plan and every detail of it and either say it's good or it's bad. So um, I'm guessing that's still a long way, a decently long way away. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I don't, and, and because like I said a few minutes ago, we're still learning new things about this virus on a seemingly daily basis. Like, yeah, I, you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, like, do we really, even if you think, you know, that it's safe, I don't know how you can be sure. Yeah. I mean, one thing that crossed my mind is, so I don't know how you've thought about this, Jake, but you and I both live alone. And so I've kind of now, thankfully, like we're younger and I think we're in, in pretty good health. So I think I, I, and I think we all of us are thinking like, oh, well, what if I got it? Like, what would happen? And 
I'm hopeful that if I got it, I would be okay and I recovered. But one thing that does make me nervous is the living alone part, right? Because if I got it, how would I know? There's a chance I'd be asymptomatic, which would be good for me, but bad for society or Houston, right? Because, you know, I might be like, I don't really go to any places, but I got to go to the grocery store once a week. I, I, go, I go running at the park. That doesn't seem to be as big of a deal. Um, but it seems like one benefit of a scenario like baseball would set up is that there would be testing, I imagine, every day or maybe like every other day. And so if you got it, you would know right away. I've been personally nervous. What if I got COVID-19 and it took a while for the symptoms to kick in? And like, how would I know if I should go to the hospital or, hospital or not? At least the, the players and people on the coaching staff, they would be in the scenario where if they got it, then they would basically know right away. And I imagine they would have access to the best medical care. Uh, does, this, does this kind of make sense, make sense in your mind? If they have daily testing, yeah. Um, yes. I mean, we saw a situation last week where the UFC fighter uh, had to bail out, had to you know bail out of the fight because he tested positive. Uh, what was it? The day before? Um, yeah, day before Friday. But wasn't he around everyone else the few days before that for promotion? Um, Probably. Yeah, I don't know. Like we've seen, sometimes you test po negative one day and positive the next day, right? Um, in, we've at least in cases I've read about, but yeah, I mean, that's the other part of it is the testing. Um, they would have to find a way to ethically uh, have enough tests to do it with, to test the players and the staff every day uh, without, you know, hindering uh, the rest of the country's ability to test because obviously testing has been the biggest uh, topic recently in terms of, um, getting through this and expanding testing. So I think the ethics of that and getting it, doing it right so that you're not affect negatively affecting anyone else uh, is a key. But yeah, I mean, I see your point, but I think we'd have to make sure that people are getting actually getting tested that regularly. Of course. Yeah. One thing I regret not asking Evan on Monday, so I wanted to throw this uh, your way. Do we have any sense for what the guidelines are going to be with the players and what they're going to do in between actual games? Because you know, the latest proposal and just where this thing is trending is they're going to try. We've talked about the Arizona plan. We've talked about Arizona, Texas, and Florida plan. Now it seems like we've moved to, hey, they'll play in home stadiums when and if possible. Uh, what do you think the guidelines are going to be like, Jake, for the players for their off-field activities? Like, are they going to be told, hey, like, make sure you limit your interactions to just your family, maybe close friends? Uh, because, you know, I, I'm personally not, not as much worried about it spreading just sort of like within the baseball circles, but what happens uh, off the baseball diamond and does that have an impact of bringing in the virus? Yeah, I have. I, I don't know. I mean... I, you should have asked Evan. <laughs> no, I don't know. I know. Um, I, I, it was one of the first things I thought of Monday afternoon. Like, I'm like, damn it, I should have asked him that. I mean, I, I haven't seen much reported about it. So, it, it, you know, I don't know if anyone outside of MLB really knows. Well, I guess MLB did present some of the the protocols in mind or, or planned to, plans to present them to the union soon. Um, and that was part of their discussion on Tuesday or a big part of it from from what I read. 
Yeah, I, I, it would have to be pretty uh, not a pretty strict, right? Like we we keep hearing about the bio I would think so. biodome or bubble. Um, I think it would have to be something like that to an extent. I, I mean, if they're playing at home parks and traveling, you can't do that 100%. But yeah, I, I think that's a huge question I have as well. And I don't really know what they would do and how they would ensure the safety of everyone in that uh, in that scenario. And that's, you know, big reason I've become more on the pessimistic side, I would say, um, about a, a season this year. Uh, I just don't know how you can ensure that everyone is safe. And by everyone, it's not just the players. As we talked about on, on the last podcast, there's umpires, there's coaches, there's yes. clubhouse attendants, there's broadcasters. There's so many people essential to the game who aren't in peak physical condition and in their 20s and 30s um and are more at risk so yeah i I, you know long way to say i I don't know but i'm i'm anxious to hear that just like you are i don't think jake there's any way they can ensure the complete safety of everybody i think the most they can do is to ensure as good of a of a protocol as humanly possible and i'm talking about like a multi-pronged deal that some people like clubhouse attendants whatever are gonna be wearing masks they'll disinfect the clubhouse every day or every other day at like a commercial grade level. Um, Maybe the ballparks themselves uh, that they would have doctors on standby that they would basically create like a whole ecosystem against this virus that makes it as safe as humanly possible. I, I think that's the most major league baseball can realistically do. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you're, yeah, I mean, your point makes sense to me. I just, I don't know. I, again, I, I really want to see more on this uh, in terms of what they actually will do because we're all just kind of assuming they will do everything they can. But is that the, you know, we don't know what their plan is. So um, that's true. Yeah. We, we got to wait and see what their MLB's proposal is on that front. And I think that's. You know, something the players are thinking about, like they want to make sure that they are as safe as they possibly can and not, you know, risking everything um, before they agree to a deal. I think along these lines, and I'll move on to some of these changes in a second, but I I think this was not in my dream. This was actually in real life that so the PGA Tour is coming back in a month. That part is actual real life. But I think they have like an 80 page guide for what they're going to do with health and safety. And that's just the PGA Tour. We're talking about golf where you basically it's like, you know, you have it's an individual sport with a caddy. And they have 80 pages. So I'm curious what baseball is going to be uh, along these lines. Now, Jake, I am interested that if there is a season, we are going to have a whole host of different changes that intrigue me. So uh, you guys know the basics. Uh, 82-game schedule, mid-June spring training, early July opening day. But then we get to things like 14-team postseason rather than 10 designated hitters in the American League and the National League uh, for travel purposes. You would have uh, teams sort of in the same category playing one another. For example, the AL West, uh, like the Astros, you're going to play the AL West teams and the NL West teams to cut down uh, on travel. You would expand rosters as well. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued, Jake, by some of these changes like the 14-team postseason. I think that makes sense for competitive balance because 
an 82-game sample size is not nearly as representative as 162. But then also, like, something that people have been fighting about for in Sports Talk Radio for, like, 50 years, the the universal DH. This has been, like, a, a common topic people have on slow sports days. And then it's, like, half a season, there we go, universal DH, bam. Yeah, and you got to wonder if we'll ever see the pitchers hit again. Um yeah, I mean, to back to your one of your points you made about the travel, I mean, cutting down on travel by sending the Astros and the Rangers to the West Coast every week doesn't really sound like cutting down on travel, does it? Yeah, I think with some of the teams like the Astros, because you're in this weird geographical geographic division, uh, it doesn't seem to really cut down on travel. I guess maybe if they made their trips to the West Coast a little bit longer, maybe that can help out a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. They're they're kind of the losers, those two teams in this ge- geographical uh, realignment. Um, so I don't know. I thought that was interesting if that happens. Yeah, I mean, universal DH would be fun. Uh, more offense, less pitchers hitting. I don't know where you stand on that. I grew up on the National League. Um, so I've never really had an issue with, with not having a DH. I think it's kind of cool that each league has its own unique thing, but, and I think the managing is more interesting on the National League side because they have more decisions to make. But I also like watching good hitters, so I'm I'm fine with Universal DH. Well, that that's my thing. Uh, I here's how I feel. Not to straddle the fence. I'll I'll give you my take. I I prefer the DH, the pitcher hitting. My thought has always been, man, these are these American League lineups like seem overly tough sometimes because every single guy can hit. Uh, whereas, but then whenever I watch National League games in detail, it's like, what else in sports is comparable to watching a pitcher hit? And, and I know there are guys who are good, like Zach Greinke, uh, but I mean, the vast majority of them are basically inept. And I'm like, when else in sports anywhere do I see people trying to do something that not only are they not really equipped to do, they don't even really, even really have the time to practice and actually do. So I feel like the National League lineups are almost like overly weak. So if you ask me to pick one, for me, it's definitely the it's definitely the DH. That, that's, that's always been my preference. And I think even watching the Astros in my time in Houston, which is nearly 10 years now, going from uh, having the pitcher hits of the DH, for me, the DH is more aesthetically pleasing. I like it more. Yeah, I'd actually be curious as to how Astros fans have feel about it. What is it? Seven years later, uh, yep. feel free to tweet at us or or DM us your opinions because you guys have a unique perspective on you know you might have been attached to the National League rules for so long and then had to warm up to the DH. I, I mean, I think it would be good in that it would create how, what fifteen more jobs for you know teams would have to yep. go go you know aggressively um, get another hitter that they're going to play every day. Um, so that's well-paying jobs, by the way. What? Sorry. Well, well-paying jobs. Like those are, those would cost teams more money than like a typical job, I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how you want to approach the DH. I mean, we've seen teams do it differently, right? Like the Astros until Alvarez, uh, Jordan Alvarez came up and was kind of, uh, had to play DH because he can't really play the field, um, they would split it up and spread the DH around a lot. You could see teams doing that. You could see the set David Ortiz, Nelson Cruz, Jordan Alvarez type deal where it's just one guy every day. So it would be interesting. Um, 
you know, probably wouldn't be great for the uh, people who think the games are too long because it's more offense. But uh, yes, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm fine with it. I'm I'm more just curious as if it would just be a one year thing or MLB would stick with it um, for you know 2021 and beyond. So ultimately, I'm just curious how all this is going to play out uh, because you have the owners first proposing a 50-50 revenue split, which has never happened before in baseball and from a player's standpoint imposes kind of a salary cap, which they will never go for. We've got a couple of weeks to negotiate. Uh, So Jake and I are on the same page. We don't think this deal is going to fall apart over money. Uh, One thing I did want to hit on real quick, ultimately, Jake, the guy who makes the final decision, like the buck stops here guy, is Rob Manfred. And I think that's a fascinating one uh, because, and I wonder what Rob is thinking internally because, you know, and again, I don't mean to be trite when I say this, but just reading the coverage of this and particularly like in the NBA where you have older coaches, obviously in baseball, you have older managers, the worst case scenario is you come back and someone dies of coronavirus. And I don't think there's anybody who that's weighing on more from a decision-making standpoint than the guy who's paid to be the commissioner, Rob Manfred. Ultimately, I feel like it's going to be his decision on whether they come back or not. And that's got to be I mean, it's got to be probably the toughest decision of his life, I imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, because we're talking about, you know, safety and health and life and death for sure. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, I I think, you know, I mean, it's really the, the decision of the health officials too, right? Like the ones that he's consulting, um... So, you know, I, I don't know if it's completely his call because we have to a lot of it's just, you know, w- what happens with the virus. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure. I, I hope that they, um, you know, are really doing the right thing with the safety and health proposals. And, um, you know, obviously the players would have to agree to, you know, the players are waiting to hear this health and safety guidelines too and so they would have to agree that you know they're comfortable with them so it's not i, I think painting it as only rob manfred's decision is is not accurate but it, final call i mean he is the commissioner yeah I, I was thinking more final call um like pat like if they get the protocols in place the medical people including the doctor i mentioned he gives the all clear the union and the owners come to an agreement ultimately like he's the guy uh, who has like the final say on whether you go or don't go. And, and that kind of fascinates me. So it'll be really interesting to see over the course of uh, the next couple of weeks. Like I, if I, if I had to bet on this, I, I don't even know what side I, I'd go on because I would tend to think that, that at least they'll try and, and come to a deal and see what happens in this spring training 2.0, but who knows? And I do definitely have the fear that, you know, if they do come back, is there a point in the season where things where God forbid, a few players get on a team and you have to shut that down uh, or things just get worse in the country? Also, God forbid that happens. Jay, give me your kind of your last word on this on a Thursday, the way you're looking at this negotiation the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, uh, I I mean, I obviously have to be ready in case it is safe to play, but I'm, I'm still I'm less focused personally on the. Um, 
the fight over pay and more on what are they going to do to ensure the safety of everyone involved because that's that's ultimately what will dictate whether they play or not in my opinion if it's safe they're not going to let the gap in money um you know deter them from playing in my opinion maybe i'm wrong and maybe they will i I think that would be a terrible look in a in a climate where 36 million people are unemployed um yep but yeah i mean i'm i'm more so focused on the health and safety part of it Uh, that's what i've been monitoring um you know just reading newspapers and, and watching the news so um we we can't really jump ahead on that we have to wait and see what happens and and see how it continues to play out and hopefully things get better jake you've written a couple of things on the athletic over the course of the last few days i want to i want to promote those and head on those uh, real quickly before we finish up you wrote about dusty baker his memories of playing at the astrodome i read it i was intrigued by uh, the fact that he felt like it was that, like I, I, I guess sometimes people with their memories they think of things as being better than they actually were. It seemed like Dusty thought that he didn't do that well in the Astrodome, and yet his numbers were actually very, very good. Yeah, he said he didn't mind hitting there because he would just he would just try to go gap to gap, and then he, I think he ended up with 13 home runs at the Astrodome. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, one reason I was interested in asking him about it was because I didn't realize until last week how truly how many games he played there. Like, it was 105 regular season games plus uh, a couple postseason yeah, a lot of games. games. Um, that's a lot of games. And it was he played there, being in the NL West, he played there more than any other road venue um, in his career. So I just wanted to, to kind of get his memories of that. And obviously, he made the last out of Nolan Ryan's no-hitter, which is interesting. Uh, he got his first hit. Major League hit at the Astrodome, his first Major League home run at the Astrodome. He once got injured at the Astrodome, running into the wall. So uh, it was fun to talk to him about. Not padded. Uh, yeah. It was fun to talk to him about <laughs> his memories there. And um, yeah, I mean, he kind of viewed it as like 1972 when he got his first homer was kind of when he became a regular. So he, he thinks back fondly to the Astrodome. And tell me about the second article. Now, I admit, I read the Dusty Baker. I have saved your second article. I have not read it yet. I will later today or tomorrow. So this involves the famous scoreboard at the Astrodome and something that happened in, was it the 1970s, Jake? Yeah, so May 15th, 1973. So there's an anniversary coming up this week. And this was just like a weird event that I stumbled upon um, a few weeks ago. Uh, that I had never heard about. And so what happened was Speck Richardson, um, the infamous Astros GM at the time who traded Joe Morgan and Mike Cuellar and John Mayberry and Rusty Staub, he uh, was not pleased about uh, a couple of calls that went against the Astros in a three-day span. And so he used the Astrodome scoreboard to rip the umpires and incite the fans And uh, I don't know, it was interesting to read back through the newspaper archives in the Houston Chronicle and the Houston Post and the Associated Press. And even the New York Times, Red Smith chimed in and ripped uh, Speck Richardson over it. So, you know, it was it was a fun. (laughs) It's a fun read. Like you can never imagine it happening now if you read it. And some of the quotes are really, really uh, great. Um, You have one of the, the, the crew chief is saying that they should bar uh speck richardson from baseball for this like it you know it's it's kind of crazy that we had i had never heard about it before um 
It did happen on the same day as Nolan Ryan's first no-hitter, I think it was, the one against the Royals. So maybe that played into it in terms of attention. But I think it's also just one of those things that, you know, would have gotten a lot more play in the social media age that um, because it was so long ago kind of gets lost. This is really interesting. Do you, do you sometimes feel like it would be awesome to cover sports in the 70s and probably, yeah, probably I think the 60s or 70s because just crazier stuff would go on and it would actually make it into the public eye. Like I can think of my conversations with John McClain of the Houston Chronicle and Dale Robertson, formerly of the Chronicle, <laughs> like the stuff that went on then. I mean, I mean, obviously people, you know, they've heard about Dan Pastorini and the fight with Dale, but some of the things that go on, I'm like, this stuff is so wild that in this sanitized age, like I can't even imagine any of this stuff going on in 2020. We should do like an oral history of, of the Dan Pastorini, Dale Robertson fight. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, it is pretty crazy. And it was interesting too. Like one of the reasons I reached out to Dusty Baker was because in this Speck Richardson game, Dusty is has a three run homer off Don Wilson, and he scores uh, a run based off of the perceived blown call at second base. <laughs> Dusty did not remember it. Um, I reached out to Larry Durker, who didn't remember it, but he did remember the previous. So apparently, there was it wasn't the first time the Astros used a scoreboard to rip the umps. It happened in 1965 as well. And Larry remembered that one. So, like, I don't know. It was interesting how how uh, people didn't even remember it. It was such a just like a, you know, blip on the radar. So, yeah, I mean, it would be fun to cover some of this stuff now, but I don't think it would happen now. Right. Because of just the way. No way. Um, <laughs> the media has grown and social media. Everything's on there within instance. I mean, listen, I was at game four of the ALCS in 2018, the famous like Altuve uh, the the home run, not home run. Like I, I got to go on my phone to get the instant replay. I don't even have the stupid thing in the ballpark, which is another thing that drives me absolutely insane. Anyway, we'll we'll wrap it up here. Make sure you guys check out Jake's great work uh, on the Athletic. The Astros using the scoreboard in the '70s and the '60s to rip the umpires and Dusty Baker's memories of playing in the Astrodome. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. We'll obviously keep tabs on this negotiation because I imagine it's it's the biggest thing going on in baseball over the course of the next couple of weeks. And obviously we hope that they come to a deal and spring training 2.0 can begin here in about three or four weeks. He's Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This is the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic.